Turn to John chapter 18. We're going to read the beginning of chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. In this passage, we finally come to Judas completing his betrayal and Jesus being arrested. The other Gospels give the, the, big, the, the bigger picture, the main story, if you will. Uh, but John adds some wonderful details here. So we're going to read this passage from John. We're also going to read a couple of places uh, to fill in some of the other things that Matthew records for us. And John, as always, is focused on the unity between the Father and Son in seeking our salvation. The Father and the Son are together, united, seeking the same thing, because they're one. And what they're seeking is our salvation. That's why Jesus was sent. It's a crazy thought. You'd think that there was something more important, that it must have been the, the impetus behind it. But then you realize that's the only reason why he ever had to in the first place, take on human flesh. So from beginning to end, his life has been coming to this point. And John reminds us of that unity of purpose. And he also points out to us and reminds us of the obedience that the Son has to the Father, even as it means suffering for himself. And he calls that suffering the cup which the Father has given me. Jesus says, he knows what's about to happen to him, and he He says, this is the cup that the Father has given me. So we're going to look at that statement. The cup which the Father has given to Jesus. We're going to study that. And we're going to ask a couple of questions. The main one being, what does it look like for us to follow after Jesus? What is the cup which the Father has given to us? Because there is a cup that is similar that the Father has given to us. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, 
I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these go, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Bible is full of suffering on the part of the righteous at the hands of the wicked. It's full of examples of suffering. And it's not uncommon that we see the righteous suffering willingly. Willingly. Not universal, of course, right? But you see Jesus here, and he says, The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And it demonstrates the willingness with which he goes forward. He knows what's coming, it says, and yet he goes forward intentionally. He willingly gets arrested. Yes, it's unjust. It's illegal. It's it's all kinds of bad, right? We know that he didn't deserve it in any way. We know that there's no justice coming. It's not, it's not one of the examples where it's a misunderstanding, there's some confusion, and, but he'll be, you know, he'll be let out once they sort everything out. It's going to end in his death, his murder. And he knows that. And yet he goes forward willingly. But let's take a step back and read... Also from Matthew's account of this night. Because when I say that he suffers willingly, you may be thinking about some of the other passages. So let's let's look at what Matthew records. Pay attention especially to Jesus' prayer. This is from Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Now, who would the two sons of Zebedee be? Who knows? James and John, right? So, John is the one writing the book of John that we're reading about, and he leaves this out that he got taken along separately with his brother and with Peter, one of the, the three closest, right? He leaves this little bit out, but let's, let's keep going. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. 
Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Notice that. Drink it. What's he talking about drinking? The cup which the Father has given him, right? And so he prays first, if there's any way, take this cup away. Then he prays again and says, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Some of you get heavy eyes while I'm preaching. I've had heavy eyes myself plenty of times in church. So I understand that what you should have done is gotten more sleep last night. Most of the time. (laughs) You thought I was going to say I understand and it's okay, right? (laughs) Jesus doesn't give them any excuse, does he? He, He says their eyes are heavy, but he says you can't even keep watch for one hour. I rarely preach for one hour. Their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So now, did Jesus go willingly to his death? Did he willingly drink the cup? Yes, yes, he did. You can see it. You can see it in Matthew. Even as he prays for the Father to take the cup away from him, if it's possible, you see that his commitment, first and foremost, is to doing the will of the Father, to accomplishing God's will, isn't it? And so no matter what, that's his first priority and commitment. He suffers it willingly. He tries desperately to avoid it, though, doesn't he? Look at that prayer. Not in a, you know, he, he tries desperately, not in some sort of earthly sense, but the only hope that he, he knows that, there, there, that if there was any way for it to be avoided, the only possible way for it to be avoided would be for it to be avoided by the will of God. And so he prays as he's deeply grieved at the thought of what is coming. He prays to the Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. If there's any way for this cup 
to be taken away. Take it away. And so we know from this that there was no other way. There was no other way. Because if there had been another way, would the Father not have answered His Son? This was the only way. He had to drink that cup. And of course, the cup was not just getting arrested that night. The cup was his suffering at the hands of those who arrested him, being beaten, being mocked, being spit upon, ultimately being crucified. But really, none of that holds anywhere near the weight of suffering as being separated from his Father in the punishment of our sins. That's what has him groaning and sweating drops of blood as he prays. And yet he goes forward willingly to meet Judas, to meet his betrayer, to meet those soldiers. And like I said, this is not uncommon. We see this in the Bible regularly. Righteous people suffering injustice willingly. David suffered willingly, refusing even as king, to use his authority to end the cursing of Shimei. Remember him? When when David's son Absalom is rebelling and David is fleeing his capital city, here comes this man throwing sticks and rocks and dirt at them and cursing. And David's nephew, I don't know if you guys realize, I just realized this week for the very first time, I think, that, uh, <clears throat> that Joab and Abner, or not Abner, Joab and uh, Asahel and, uh, what's his name? There were three sons, three brothers. What? I can't remember, maybe. Anyway, Joab, you remember the commander of David's army? The sons of Zeruiah? You guys, you guys remember the sons of Zeruiah and how wicked Joab was and how they always they kept murdering people? You're reading this week through the genealogies, and you know who Zeruiah was? David's sister. I had no idea. Read your Bible. Learn. So here, David is fleeing, and one of his nephews 
One of the sons of Zeruiah says, Shall I go and cut off his head, O king? And David responds, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Let alone go and kill him. Right? David suffers. It's, it's, it's entirely unjust. And yet he knows that it's from the Lord. And so he leaves Shimei cursing and throwing sticks and stones and dirt and abuse. And so it's important for us that we see David that we see the, the righteous men that have gone before us. We see David, we see Jesus, we see their willingness to suffer, to suffer even injustice on behalf of seeking after the will of God. You see that. It's not injustice for the sake of injustice. It's not injustice so that you can be a victim and be like, see how terrible the world treats me? Some people are just desperate for 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 some proof that they're being mistreated, right? Some of you kids are like that, I know. I won't name any names. You think the world is out to get you, and, and all you're waiting for is some little proof. See, I've been treated unjustly. You're just, you can't wait to be treated unjustly so that you can have an excuse for, for whining and moaning about it. Now, is that what Jesus and David did? No, they suffered injustice willingly. Yeah, they were mistreated. Yeah, it was wrong. But it wasn't so that they could moan about it. It wasn't so that they could have an excuse for being a grump. It was because their goal was the will of the Lord, even if that meant suffering for themselves, even if that meant injustice for themselves. And so we too can and must suffer through injustice by faith. Because injustice will come. For all the world's talk about social justice, all right, the world will always have poor people, and the world will always have injustice, right? It doesn't mean that our goal is to make people poor or that our goal is to cause injustice. It's just recognizing the reality of this world and in its fallenness under the weight of the sin of Adam and his sons. That's us. And so injustice will come. 
injustice will come to you. Undoubtedly, many wicked things have already been done to you. And so how do you respond? What is the cup that the Father has given you to drink? And will you drink it like Jesus by faith? As is too often the case, Peter is given as our counterexample. Peter decides that this cup ought not to be suffered, right? And so what does he do? He takes out his sword. We must not be like Peter. Peter steps out above his station in life. Uh, wise elder that I know has for several years had as the theme of his life this one focus, knowing your place, knowing your place. And he, he comes back to that concept over and over and over again. And here Peter is, Peter doesn't know his place. Well, that's like the definition of Peter, right? <laughs> Not knowing his place. Peter doesn't know his place, and so he, he seeks to overrule God's will. Even in pursuit of justice, this is not acceptable. Do you see that? Peter was not given any command or authority to take on the task of providing earthly protection to his Lord. Do you see that? Now, there are people who have been given authority and the task of protecting. Fathers bear responsibility for the protection and provision of their family, right? Likewise, governments for their people and so forth. This does not mean that there is no place for swords. It means that Peter had not been given that place. And that's important for us to understand here because looking at Jesus willingly suffering this injustice, this cup, and seeing that he then tells Peter to put his sword away, it can be, it can be kind of a... Uh, uh, a scary thought, but there's this temptation then to look at it and be like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to be a pacifist then, and, and to then be angry about it and say, well, Joseph, you know, Joseph just thinks that everything that comes our way, we just have to put up with. I remember talking to a man in my church who, after I preached on a similar theme, the necessity of... <clears throat> Letting go of earthly things and pursuing the Lord was, was concerned, wondering about whether there's any place to pursue 
getting paid by people who you've done work for and who, who owe you tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> you can understand how this would be a, a scary thought, right? Does this just mean that everything bad that happens to you, you just need to just, I guess it's just the Lord's will and just like let it happen? Anything that's bad that's about to happen? No, it's not what it means, okay? Remember, this is all in the context of the will of the Lord being sought, first and foremost. And so, Peter is stepping outside of his position and into trying to claim a position of authority and responsibility that he hasn't been given in an attempt to undercut the will of the Lord. Now, he doesn't necessarily know that that's what he's doing, right? But that's really what he's doing. He's attempting to go against the will of God. Going back to Matthew, in Matthew 26, 52, Jesus' words are recorded, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. What does he mean by take up the sword? Again, this isn't a, you know, anyone who owns guns is going to die from guns. This isn't anyone who uh, defends themselves is going to be killed by violence, right? No, this is Jesus being on task. The will of God is the thing to pursue. The will of God and trusting in the Lord for salvation. And so the moment that we look to our own strength, our own arms, to provide our salvation, then we have turned away from looking to God for our salvation. And we die seeking our own salvation rather than trusting God. It's the same as some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It does not mean that horses are bad or that chariots are bad, does it? Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is the one that we look to to deliver us. And it's the same here. Don't look to the sword to save you, Peter. Look to the Lord to save you. And so it is that we are not given to pacifism. We're not called to pacifism, to never taking action, to just letting everything happen passively. And that's really what pacifism is. Calvin sees this difficulty and says, you know, 
Actually, this isn't exactly what he says, but he says it's, it's perfectly good to seek to avoid any kind of suffering that you can avoid. If you're sick, go to the doctor, for goodness sakes. <laughs> if a painkiller will help you, take it. Those are actually his, his examples. I'm thinking, you know, if you're working with thorns and thistles, wear leather gloves. Right? Thorns and thistles are the will of God, yes. He sent them as part of the curse. Pacifists are required to not wear gloves. To be true to the, to the ideal of pacifism that you would take from this passage, you understand? You have to never seek to avoid any kind of suffering. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. He is seeking after the will of God regardless of the suffering that comes And there's a world of difference between those two things, isn't there? Seek the will of God no matter the consequences, no matter the suffering that comes. Take that cup willingly. Final justice will be provided by the Lord. And so you don't make your goal, your ultimate target be justice here and now. Right? You don't make your ultimate goal your comfort here and now. You don't make your ultimate goal anything aside from that the will of God would be done and that you would pursue it willingly. Even as it requires you to suffer. And so far I've been talking about suffering in the context of people sinning against us. But the moment you begin to look at Jesus and and think about his suffering, you can't help but realize that our suffering is so different from his, isn't it? Because our suffering comes upon us so much of the time, not because of someone else's sin, but because of our own sin. We deserve the suffering that's coming upon us. Jesus didn't suffer because of something he did. Rather, he suffered because of the wicked things that we've done. Going back to Peter again, remember when... When Jesus told his disciples that he had to die to be crucified, Peter said to him, what? Remember what Peter said? May it never be, Lord. God forbid it, Lord. Again, Peter has, you know, from the beginning, this is, here he is now in the garden, he's got his sword out. May it never be! (laughs) And he just doesn't learn. And it's just like us. Well, 
what did Jesus respond? When Peter began to seek after his own will rather than the will of the Father, when he began to seek salvation in his own way, in his, by his own strength rather than by the will of God, <clears throat> Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. I'll read you this. Again, this is going back to Matthew, Matthew 16 this time. I'll read the whole passage starting in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Takes a certain kind of man to rebuke Jesus, doesn't it? Peter took him aside, though, and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Do you see the f- that we, we forget what comes after? He says, get behind me, Satan. We remember that. We're like, whoa, okay. But then he says, what is wrong with what Peter is doing? For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Isn't that exactly what Peter is still doing when he draws his sword in the garden? Jesus has his mind set on God's will, on God's purposes. And that's why he knows that what he's going through, he's already gotten done praying. He's prayed. The answer is, no, this is the will of God. This is what's coming. Here is the cup. It still is yours to drink. And so Jesus goes willingly And Peter is still being Satan. Still setting his mind on his own interests rather than God's. Peter was not concerned about accomplishing the will of God. Namely, the salvation of God's people. Aren't you glad that Peter didn't prohibit our Lord, from accomplishing God's will, our salvation. And you think, yeah, but I really would have liked to see a big bloodbath there with the heroes and the fighting and all of them wiped out. And, but, but what did we read? They all fell down when they heard Jesus say, I am. There's no shortage of power. Jesus said it to Peter. I could have a thousand, you know, I could have legions of angels. Why not? Because he will drink the cup that the Father has given him to drink. Will you drink the cup that the Father has given you to drink? Or is your mind set on man's will? I want to keep reading from Matthew here. You're you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's, he says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is the very next verse, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What did Jesus do in the garden? He denied himself 
and he took up his cross. He drank the cup willingly. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And isn't that what Peter wished? Peter wished to save his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And that's exactly what Peter was seeking. And that's exactly what we're seeking. To gain this world. And it would have been at the forfeit of his soul. Shouldn't you rather gladly suffer for him? For Jesus, take up your cross and follow him. Now. And not least because denying yourself is necessary for your salvation. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what cup has the Father given you? What is it that is painful and hard in your life that is the will of God for you? Not the things that you ought to take care of and remove from your life. Some of you have pain and you should... Stop pretending to be a tough man and pop a couple of Advil in your mouth. That's me. I'm always like, ah, I'm going to tough it out. But I'm, some, I'm stupid. But some of you have pain that is physical pain and that there's nothing that can be done for, for it by our medicine. And so you are to suffer it joyfully, willingly, Because you know it comes from the hand of God. And if in five years they figure out a way to take away the pain, praise God. Then it's no longer God's will for you to suffer that pain, is it? You see how hard this is? You see how much you have to think? (laughs) You see how you have to not... Set yourself in narrow little roads and be like, okay, I guess that just means this, that, and the other all the time. No, this requires faith. Knowing the will of God requires seeking the will of God rather than just assuming, like Peter, that you know what's right. There's other suffering, though, that we're all called to that there's nothing that can be done about it. And that is putting to death our flesh. Mortify the flesh. That's what the word mortify means. Put to death. The mortuary is where dead people are. And we mortify our flesh. 
What does that mean? It means our sin, our, des- our wicked desires that are deep down in our hearts. We put them to death, and that hurts, doesn't it? Fighting your sin is the cup that the Father has given you. There's other cups that have been given to us. Some of us have the cup of being married to a difficult man. Some of us are drinking the cup of not being married yet when we want to be. Some of us are drinking the cup of not getting the job you want or the raise that you want. Some of us are drinking a cup of suffering, being slandered and attacked for doing the right thing, for being righteous, for working hard, for telling the truth, for following the rules, for being a Christian. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And this is the cup that we've been given to drink. Because it is the will of our Heavenly Father. And is it not so much better to put your will in line with the Father's rather than to have your will be the thing that you have to seek and that you know it's not the Father's will. But the moment you do that, then you've got to trust in your sword. You've got to trust in horses. You've got to trust in chariots. You've got to watch out for yourself. Watch out for number one. Make sure that you get what you're... And what does Jesus say? Oh yeah, you'll get what's coming. What is it in your life that you're holding on to as a higher priority than God's commands? That's where your cup, that's, that's where we start drinking. That's where we take out a sword and we start cutting. Jesus speaks of John the Baptist. And I, I, want to, I want to take just the last minutes to talk about John the Baptist because <clears throat> you may think that having seen Peter, Peter took out his sword. <clears throat> you know, I guess we're just not supposed to do anything. It's, it's always a temptation to just then be like, okay, well, I guess I just have to be passive. And I know I've already warned you against it, but let's take John the Baptist as our counterexample. Jesus said of John the Baptist, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. 
And he's commending John the Baptist and that violence. And so, this is not a call to be passive. Jesus is active in going forward to meet Judas. He is active in pursuing the will of God. And so it must be with us. Well, it's not, it's not if, you know, I guess if God grabs my hair and pulls my head back and my lip and yanks my mouth open and then pours, I guess I'll swallow. Is that how Jesus drank the cup that the Father had given him? No, it's willingly. It's willingly. And so we willingly go pursue, in, in pursuit of God's will. And that requires that we take out a sword and begin to hack off the things that aren't according to his will. If, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of darkness, the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And that's what Jesus was pursuing. It's only because he went willingly and drank this cup that that promise is true. That we have the Spirit. And that we can drink the cup that's before us. Trusting that through his will, he will bring us to his salvation. Let's pray.